Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. Thank you all for being here. How good it is to be here on a rainy, dreary Sunday. Can I get an amen? Anybody here ready for the sun to come out? Yeah, I think it's probably about all of us. Good grief, what's going on? At least we don't have to water the lawn. So one of our things we do here at Unity, we always look on the bright side. So what's the positives? Nobody has to water anything for a very long time. So, all right, that's great. Hey, here's another question for you, along with who's ready for the sun to come out. Anybody here dealing with any adversity or stress in your life or in the world? Anything you know of might be going on, pulling your chain a little bit? Yeah, okay, a couple of us, so... I'm not just preaching to myself today. Well, how do we respond to these things? I mean, there's the, we've all been taught about the fight or flight response. And recently, well, relatively recently, freeze was added onto it. You know, when there's something going on, you either fight it, you know, going to fight it off or you're just going to run from it. So like we've been doing this weekend, we've all run under the covers and just like, maybe it'll go away. Uh, and freeze, we just kind of know that we've all probably had that experience. You always see it in the horror movies as well. You know, when the guy comes with the chainsaw and everyone's like, uh, it's like, run, run. And they don't. That's the freeze. You're aware of that. So this term, fight or flight, actually came from uh, Harvard, uh, Walter Cannon in the Harvard Medical School in 1915. So it has been a while. And it seems to me that uh, as I look at the world today, there's a lot of fight or flight going on and, and some freeze as well. You may have noticed that too on a social media post or two that there's a lot of intention to fight or flight or, or, or just hide. But here's the other question. Now, is it possible, is it possible that there is another paradigm that we could use to address the challenges of the day? Maybe one that would promote the consciousness of a world that works for everyone. Or as we say in our vision statement here at Unity of Fairfax, is there a paradigm that would allow us and guide us to create a world of peace, abundance, and respect for all creation? Well, I think there is. And I want to tell you a story that kind of highlights it. It's beautiful sculpture beautiful sculpture. Now, you might think, oh, that's probably somewhere out west where our large population of indigenous Americans might live. And if you thought that, I will tell you, you are absolutely and completely wrong. Because that sculpture is in Balick Park in Middleton, County Cork in Ireland. And it honors the relationship between the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma and the people of Ireland both of whom had experienced tremendous adversity. So according to the Choctaw Nation, both the Choctaw and the Irish were in fact colonized by outsiders. And if you know history, it's pretty well. There were threats to their language, to their culture, and just all kinds of repression that the Irish experienced as well as the Choctaw. But this relationship that led to the sculpture began in 1847 when the Choctaw, who had only recently been removed from their native homelands in Mississippi and Alabama uh, through the Trail of Tears and Death, took up a collection in 1847 of $170, in today's term about $5,000, 
because they'd heard that the Irish were suffering from the potato famine. And they were moved and said, we must tend to these people. We must help them. We must do something, even though we ourselves have experienced great adversity. And so they sent this donation to the town of Middleton in County Cork, which is just south of Dublin. And there, many decades later, the townspeople realized that the aid that they received had come from an also uh, abused uh, people who also had horrible circumstances, and still their hearts were alive to the necessity of tending and caring for others. So it established a relationship. And in 1995, President Mary Robinson herself from Ireland went to visit the Choctaw to establish a formal relationship. And the sculpture you see behind us was dedicated by the Irish in 2017. In 2018, Irish uh, Prime Minister Leo Varadkar also visited the Cherokee, the Choctaw rather, with the intention of establishing a scholarship that would bring Choctaw students to Ireland for education. Now, in 2020, the story took another twist during the pandemic. And the Irish realized that the death toll and the pain of the Navajo and the Hopi were extreme. And they decided to pay it forward and made a very sizable donation to the Hopi and the Navajo, paying it forward, tending and befriending. Said Choctaw Chief Gary Batten, adversity often brings out the best in people. We are gratified and perhaps not at all surprised to learn of the assistance of our special friend, the Irish, who are giving the Navajo and Hopi people this wonderful gift. Our word for their selfless act is iwikoa. It means serving those in need. We have become kindred spirits with the Irish in the years since the Irish potato famine. We hope the Irish, Navajo, and Hopi will too develop lasting friendships as we have. Sharing our cultures seems to make the world grow smaller. I love that. I love that. And it highlights the other paradigm for dealing with adversity and stress. It's called tend and befriend. And see, this idea of this tend and befriend theory came out of the work of Dr. Shelley Taylor, PhD emeritus professor at UCLA, who published a document about this very theory in the year 2000. And what she said was, the tend and befriend theory builds on the observation that human beings affiliate in response to stress. Under conditions of threat, they tend to the offspring to ensure their survival and affiliate, that is, befriend others for joint protection and comfort. These social responses to stress and their biological underpinnings appear to be more characteristic of, and not exclusive to, I might add, women than men. And this model may shed light on the fact why women tend to live longer than men rather than fighting and fleeing all the time. Let's come together as one. She goes on to say, it must be noted that tending and befriending also promote human growth as well. 
through affiliation with others in times of stress and the ability to draw on mental representations of relationships, people acquire the resources to explore and grow both emotionally and intellectually in environments that ensure social connection. And as we've seen from the example with the Choctaw and the Cherokee and the Irish, I got the Cherokee on my mind today, this tending and befriending consciousness can become multi-generational and have a beautiful ripple effect. So although the theory of tend and befriend is relatively new, the practice is clearly ancient and has had demonstrated results from time immemorial. It's what helps, has helped human humanity overall, as well as individual groups, survive any number of tragedies and traumas. So a question occurred to me, why is it that the practice of tend and befriend doesn't have greater expression in our collective consciousness? Why is it we are so focused on this war and that battle and this problem and this fight and this and that? Why is it that we don't have a greater consciousness and understanding of tend and befriend? Why isn't this always our first go-to in times of tragedy and trauma? So I'm going to throw it out there. And I can't help but wonder if it's because of the historic primacy of patriarchy in our world. The traditional focus on male perspectives or a perceived sense of male superiority. I see heads nodding. <laughs> Maybe since women's perspectives haven't been and in many prominent instances are still not considered equal to men's, tend and befriend, traditionally viewed as a feminine role, was simply taken for granted. Nobody really noticed it. And therefore, not worth mentioning by the men who wrote the histories. Now, I'm not man-bashing. I tend to be one myself, just in case you haven't noticed. Not tend. I mean, it's just kind of how it is. It's a matter of balance. There's a time and a place for everything. And the time and the place for acknowledging the sacred worth and value of feminine principles and women is not just today. It was a thousand years ago. And it continues today. So interestingly, including and advancing the role of women in the feminine aspects of spirituality has always been a part of our unity movement. We've got a picture here of Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, co-founders of the unity movement. Because unity was co-founded by a man and a woman, working completely together as equals. Let's give a little bit of backstory on this. Charles Fillmore's father deserted the family while Charles and his brother were little boys, leaving a single mother on the frontier to raise her children in the 1800s. Fillmore was born in 1854. It wasn't really easy for a single mother then. Not terribly easy right now, as a matter of fact. Some of you know that better than I. But she did it. She did what she had to do to raise her children. Myrtle Fillmore, on the other hand, oh, so I left off a detail. So when he was 10 years old, he had a skating accident 
left him with a physical handicap such that he could not go to school. So he was tutored, you guessed it, by women his whole life, tutored by women. So maybe it's not a surprise that when he married Mary Caroline Page, whose nickname was Myrtle, that he married a college graduate. Myrtle graduated from the one-year literary course for ladies at Oberlin College in 1867. Interestingly enough, Oberlin was the first college to grant an undergraduate degree to a black person, Mary Jane Patterson, in 1862. So here's this man, raised by his mother, married a college grad, started out this wonderful life, ended up bringing us all here together today. So let's move on to what something else Fillmore had to say about this. We've got a picture here of a talk that Charles Fillmore, co-founder of Unity, gave on January 16th, 1916. And the talk is entitled, The Authority of the Divine Feminine Restored, giving us some indication of where he was in consciousness. And I, oh, by the way, I looked at that and I thought, he must have been using an early version of Word Perfect, because I'm looking at the type there. <laughs> I don't use that font anymore. But he's giving us the indication by the title of an understanding that at some point in time and in consciousness, the divine feminine was a power known and expressed. And so in this talk, he says a variety of things, but I want to start with this. And we are in our present civilization coming to a place where the whole human family, and especially the masculine part of the human family, must recognize the divine feminine. There must be a lifting up of that spiritual quality in the dominant race thought, which is man. There must be lifting up into the realm of intuition, of love, of tenderness. These qualities which belong supremely to woman. We can see that this movement is becoming universal. Women's suffrage is a larger expression in human affairs of the feminine, and back of it is a great truth. And that great truth was the power of women and all that is represented by this idea of the divine feminine. He goes on to say, maybe poking the fellows in the room, if all men were meek enough, humble enough, and would recognize that women really do know something, that they have understanding and inner perception of the law that man does not have, if men would humble themselves and recognize that, then the kingdom of God would soon come into expression and we would find restitution of all things and easy matter. He's talking about balance. We must balance our energies. Now I would have to say to my brother man, let us get down off our high horse. Let us be humble and willing to accept the intuitive word of the divine feminine in every affair of our lives. Let us take their intuition, their perception of things into whatever we do, and I assure you, we will achieve success. A restitution of our mind and our affairs will be successful, and then as an example to the world of what justice and righteousness is. And loving cooperation by man in all his affairs of everybody and everything, especially the divine feminine. 
when this is established in our world, we shall be an example. We shall be a demonstration to people everywhere of the divine law. We have found the law. It might have been buried under great loads of material things and money and the things of the world, but it is still there, deep down in human conscience. It's the wonderful law, and it is only revealed when we let go and give ourselves up and hold ourselves up as one in spirit, the spirit of God manifest in masculine and feminine. I don't know about you, but that says a lot. It says a lot about our unity movement's calling to be love in action, to be an inclusive community. It might explain why the majority of our clergy are actually female, which is a rarity in this world. And it explains why it is so important for us to look at one another as equals in all things make sure our voices are heard, and for each one of us to understand and appreciate and give expression to those elements that might be defined traditionally as masculine or feminine. Because what we want is to be whole and complete in every way, in our thought process, in our feeling body, in our physicality. We can't do that if we're looking at others as less than or not honoring all parts of ourselves. That's part of the great work of the unity movement. That's part of that great vision of seeing the world with peace, abundance, and respect for all creation. So I want to come back to our initial question. How do we handle the adversities and stressors in our lives? So, of course, there's a time and a place for fight or flight and even freeze. But we must also integrate into that tend and befriend if we wish to know ourselves, as Fillmore says, as one with spirit and healers and peacemakers in the world. As let me tell you, if you see a social media feed or read a newspaper, there's there's a job opening for peacemakers and healers in the world right now. And that job is our job. You know, the, I just take great comfort in the model of the Choctaw. They reached out first to somebody else who was suffering, telling us, showing us an example who is suffering in the world and how might we reach out to help, to lift one another up. Reminds me of what this line that Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians, now you are all the body of Christ and individually members of it, but strive for the greater gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. The greater gifts are integration of our full being. And as we do the work of honoring the fullness of ourselves, we will find more and more ways in which we can serve and make a difference and bring peace on earth and goodwill towards all. And like the law of constant pay, uh, compensation, what was the law the kid had uh, in Sunday school? Compensation. What goes around comes around. 
we can put those good energies into effect. In fact, the Sunday school lesson was tailored for this because that's our job. That's our calling. We can get sucked into the vortex of negativity and name calling. It's pretty easy to do. No one said spiritual evolution and growth was the easy way. It's the way that matters, though. It's the way that will make the world safe for those kids we were listening to and we see in our lives. Because somewhere along the line, there were people, adults, strangers to all of us when, when we were children who had a vision. I want to make the world safe for these kids so they can grow to know themselves as one with spirit. That job open, opening is still there, and it's ours. It is the still more excellent way. You know, I think about Charles and Myrtle Fillmore's time 106 years ago, and people faced adversities and stressors, just as we do today, and some of them are the same, and some are different. But Fillmore, addressing his comments, was saying, especially to the menfolk, you've got to be humble to recognize and express and honor the fullness of your being so that we can demonstrate justice and righteousness right here. Or as Jesus said, so that we might establish the kingdom right here in a way that it is known by all. So as we ponder the issues of the day, the issues of our personal lives and the life we share in common, I would ask you to ask yourself, am I fighting? Am I fleeing? Am I freezing? Am I tending? And am I befriending? Am I honoring the feminine and the masculine in myself and in the world? And so I want to conclude with just a few words of the opening prayer. Dear God, Mother, Father of us all, grant us those life-giving ways, strength for birthing and for nurturing a spirit that we may take attentive care of our world, our community, and those precious beings entrusted to us by biology or by destiny or by friendship, fellowship, or fate. Give us all the heart of a mother today. Peace be with you and namaste. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.